Hello, welcome to today's episode on blockchain and financial inclusion. I am Arun Krishna Kumar from Rhetoric in London, and I have Effie with me. Hello, I'm Effie Pilarino, fintech and blockchain advisor out of Switzerland. And we have Tricia Martinez uh, from Walla. Welcome, Tricia, for the, to the episode. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Tricia, thanks for joining us today. Can we start with a little bit of an overview of what you do at Walla and the impact it's creating within the African continent? Great. So I am the CEO and founder of Walla and also the director of the Dalla Foundation. So Walla is a zero-fee financial services app for emerging markets. So we started it Almost five years ago, um, I, I started my career in behavioral economics and went out to Uganda because I wanted to, to work with consumers on the ground and conduct research and really understand what the barriers to accessing basic financial services were. And my experience just working specifically with subsistence farmers in northern Uganda really opened my eyes to a lot of the inefficiencies in the financial system. And so... As I started working more and more with what I would call the underbanked consumer, so individuals who choose not to use the banking system, I was blown away by the fact that there's such a large portion of consumers around the world who choose not to use banks because it's so expensive, because the services are outdated, inefficient, poor customer experience. That's when this red light went on for me that there's an opportunity to solve a big problem and really provide a more effective, seamless solution designed specifically for these consumers. So what Walla does is um, provide a financial products and services to consumers through a mobile financial platform at zero fees um, and through a decentralized financial system. And that's where Dala, the open source multi-chain crypto asset, comes into play Walla is essentially the, the launch partner and the first major contributor to Dollar's open source development, um, enabling consumers to peer to peer payments, soon borrow and earn in Dollar as well. So, Tricia, do I understand correctly that the token that your users, the users in uh, Africa today, um, are using is the Dollar? token, correct? Yes, correct. Does that mean that if I buy dollar tokens, I can transfer money to basic banking on your app, paying no fees? Yes. So what we've created, so throughout this entire journey that we've taken with Walla, we really come to the conclusion that the existing financial systems were never designed for these consumers. It's almost as if we're trying to force um, a round peg into a square hole. Um, people constantly talk about we need to bank the unbanked, but that's the completely wrong answer. There's handing a bank account to a consumer in Uganda, for example, is not going to solve any problem. There's a reason why consumers choose not to use these services. And so with Dala, we saw that we could actually design an entirely new financial system, the infrastructure, build it from the ground up. And that's what blockchain technology enables us to do design a system around the behaviors of these consumers, around the, the needs, the wants, the desires. Finally, a system that takes into account everything about these consumers rather than forcing a solution onto them that just doesn't work. I actually heard your uh, talk at the Ethereal Summit in, in New York uh, that was very much focused on bringing together academics, philosophers, uh, um, and, and looking at blockchain 
from that angle and and from there i started understanding uh, what you're uh, doing can you share with us like a real example of a person that's using it in uh, africa and how it changed their life yes yes i can so we also just had a video made about dala and wala and how it's impacted consumers lives specifically in uganda so i can share that with you later because it's very moving but Essentially, the what we wanted to, to accomplish in the very early days was a transactional solution. So while the vision of DALA is to build a decentralized financial system, which includes earning, borrowing, saving, transacting, um, every every channel within the financial ecosystem, we needed to, to start with one and drive adoption. And that early adoption for us was around transactions. So the basic concept of enabling consumers to send payments anywhere instantly for free to buy products and services at no cost, um, especially in these markets, is game-changing since To give you an example, mobile money, especially in East Africa, is very prevalent. A lot of people have heard of M-Pesa, but what people don't really realize uh, around the world is that mobile money is very, very expensive. Every action that a consumer takes comes with a very large fee, and these fees can can range from 5 to 100% on a transaction. So to deposit money, to withdraw money, to send a payment, to purchase electricity for your home or data for your phone, these things all come with fees. And so we, with the Walla app, enable the user to buy Dalla and use that Dalla to purchase um, satellite TV services. They can do it instantly and at no cost. So there was a, a huge value proposition to the customers that we work with because they're sick of paying these fees and they're actively looking for alternative solutions. Great. And a question for you is, um, do you also focus on the remittance market within Africa? Because that's a, that's a huge market, I understand. Yes. So we do, but we also, so I really believe that in order to drive true adoption in crypto, you need to have real utility and you need to have distribution. So there are some companies who have launched tokens that are purely remittance based that the only utility to get out of this token is you put fiat into the system, then you send a payment cross-border, and then you take fiat out. There's a lot of volatility with that. There's not a lot of utility that stays within that ecosystem. So for us, remittances is just a value add. Um, crypto by nature, it's borderless, so you can move it anywhere. Um, and depending on the blockchain you're using, you can move it um, almost instantly and at no cost. And so that's a huge value add to the users that we work with, but it's not the only use case and it's not the, the, the complete focus for us. Great. Do you, uh, have you got instances where uh, you've, uh, your solution has helped with the inflation uh, problem within Africa? Um, that's, I would say that we're so, as of now, we're so small that it's, <laughs> it's too early to, to create an impact on that. You know, I think, you know, just looking at even like South Africa, for example, the the rand is devalued to, to the dollar uh, an insane, like 30% in such a short amount of time. Like, it's just crazy. I'm an American living in, in South Africa, and so it's great for me, but for all of our... <laughs> Employees who earn in RAND, um, it's, it's, it's a massive impact. And that's what's exciting about crypto is that um, there's potential to, to 
avoid a lot of the adverse effects of some of these economic systems. Um, and something that we, we at large scale, once we have more uh, reach, once there are more consumers within the system and, and enterprises, I think will have a big impact uh, on inflation overall. Trisha, how have you managed to, to penetrate and get adoption since your solution is a consumer uh, app? Uh, how have you done that? Is it education? Is it through distribution channels? How have you attained what you atta- you've attained up until now? If you can tell us a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a number of things. Um, so for one, we as an organization have been operating in these countries for almost, in Uganda specifically, for almost five years. So we've been on the ground with consumers, building trust, showing our brand. So we were, there was nothing new about us. We had a huge value proposition. We remove fees. Um, so whether it's a blockchain solution or not, we removing fees, value proposition to these emerging market consumers. The last thing I would say is that the reason why we don't see as much adoption in more developed markets like the U.S. um, or European markets and why we're seeing it happen at a much faster rate in Africa, uh, different African markets, is because these consumers, one, are dealing with serious financial problems uh, every day of their lives. They, like you said, deal with inflation. And the second a president opens their mouth, their currency can devalue. Um, There's a lot of volatility that they have to deal with. And especially with expats who are constantly moving around in different currencies, this is a a problem that they're trying to, to, to cope with. And to mention, consumers in these markets are pretty exposed to the concept of a tokenized asset. So mobile money is pretty much cryptocurrency um, to an extent, right? The, the reason why M-Pesa started was because Safaricom, the, the telecommunications company, started observing that consumers were using airtime, mobile minutes, as a form of currency. They were sending it to friends and family, paying for things with it. That is pretty much what DAL is. It's a, it's a tokenized asset. It holds value. It can be redeemable for something. And so this is not new to a lot of these consumers. And I think that's one thing that we really try to emphasize as an organization that to get adoption, you need to go where the problems are. Crypto and blockchain have the potential to solve some really big problems, but you need to go where those problems are. Have you had any issues in terms of scaling your proposition because of technology limitations? Um, I know as of yet, uh, not, no, I would say that, so we are smartphone solution. The smartphone penetration is, is extremely fast. So in sub-Saharan Africa in 2017, I believe uh, smartphone penetration was about 34%. Emerging markets overall was 55%. And those numbers increase every year. Smartphones are getting cheaper and cheaper. There's a $20 smartphone on the market. So uh, technology is, is not a big issue. Um, in terms of consumers accessing these things. Um, we are not a completely decentralized solution. We don't. We see that um, in order to drive adoption, you cannot 
require consumers to manage their own private keys and throw something at them when people can lose their phones, when there's theft involved. Um, you know, we are essentially operating as a custodian for these cons- consumers because, you know, we want to build trust and we want to drive adoption with crypto, but it's, it takes time. It's not, it's not going to happen overnight and you can't believe um, a black and white solution like complete de- decentralization is going to work immediately. What are the partners, the blockchain partners, the technology that you've used behind to the scenes, so to speak, to build these solutions? And where are you actually operating right now? Yeah, so we, DALA is a is an ERC-20 token. So we issued on the Ethereum blockchain. Like a lot of other organizations, we saw that, you know, the most innovation happens where the most developer action is and where the largest developer communities are. That's Ethereum. Um, it's not happening as much with some other blockchains, but we've also taken the approach that there will only be a few winners in the space. And we wanted to take advantage of multiple blockchains depending on the use case we have, especially if we're building out a, a decentralized financial system. Ethereum can't solve the payments problem. Um, you can't scale uh, micropayments with Ethereum, but you can with Stellar. And that's when we started examining the opportunity to actually have a multi-chain approach where depending on you know the financial solution, whether it's a loan, it can happen on Ethereum with smart contract capability. And if it's a payment, it can happen on Stellar um, because it can move instantly and at almost no cost on chain. So we're excited about this approach we've taken because it actually enables us to take advantage of the best blockchains um, for every specific financial use case that we're offering our, our users. Uh, was this an approach you took from day one or was it was it something that you realized as you start as you started scaling and then you had to bring Stellar into the picture? No, it, it's definitely something we realized later on. So we, I think a lot of people really are um, serious believers in Ethereum, but there are, are limitations with it. Uh, it was never designed as a payments blockchain and we started engaging with Raiden um, as a as a as a side chain solution, but you know we don't know where the Raiden network will end up or any of these other scaling solutions, and that's the concern. We we as an organization cannot wait. We have serious demand from users. We need to solve this problem, and, and that's the same reason why we created Dala. Um, a lot of people ask us, why can't you just use Bitcoin? And it's because it's not the right solution. It's too expensive and it's too slow for these particular use cases within the financial context. And I think that's that's an important thing to, to frame within the, the blockchain community that, you know, there's not just one solution. You know, we need innovation in the space. We need to keep improving and iterating on technology. And, and that's something that we're really focused on doing within the financial context. Trisha, you're in Uganda live, if I understand correctly. Where are you going next? What's what's sort of the roadmap and and the strategy? Yeah, so we're live in South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Uganda right now, but the vast majority of our growth has been in Uganda. So for us, it's, it's, it's purely about distribution. We need to make sure that in any country we operate, there's on and off ramps so people can move 
money into the DALA network. They can take it out if they need to. They can transact with retailers or merchants. They can transact in the app. They can send payments. Um, and so our focus within these markets is different. Every country in Africa is so vastly different. The cultures, the regulations, the ec- economies, uh, the people. It's, um, you know, a lot of people think that Africa can just be one country and it's easy to scale there and it's very difficult. So we want to focus on driving serious growth within these markets and solving the problems in these markets. And um, we believe that by next year, we can actually launch um, in about um, eight more countries where we already have distribution and partnerships on the ground to enable transactions and payments for DALA as well as on and off ramps. Uh, do you have any interoperability issues when you uh, expand from one country to other, another because of some payments infrastructure challenges? Yeah, definitely. So the reason why we can expand to a total of 11 markets, we, we technically could go live if we wanted to, is because we have partnerships ranging in all those countries. Um, but we, in certain countries, like if we wanted to go to the U.S. for some reason, we would need to build out on and off ramps there. We would need to work with retailers and merchants. And so um, we're very cognizant about the fact that it does, building out these ecosystems is very specific for every country, and we need to have those partnerships in place. So it's not it's not something we can do just, you know, really, really quickly. So I understand, that, uh, Trisha, that you... Uh, Wala uh, uh, Foundation has won uh, an award. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so um, um, Walla, uh, the, the Zerfi financial platform, wa- was won the Zambezi Prize for financial inclusion in Africa. So it's a, a, a big startup competition put on by MIT and the MasterCard Foundation um, there were over 500 applicants in Africa, and we made it as one of the top 10 finalists. And my co-founder, Samar, went out to Nairobi for the awards competition, and we were given the grand prize, which was really exciting. It's a big honor and a big accomplishment, just given how, how large the fintech space in Africa is. Um, you know, and it gives us that credibility. For me, given how hard we've been working for years on the ground, um, it was a great, it was a good win <laughs> to have, especially having, you know, we, we won $100,000 in cash grant. So that's always good to put in the bank um, and can go towards more growth for us. I thought you would say party money. <laughs> no, never. Trisha, is there any exciting um, uh, future plans that you want to share with us before we go into the last minutes of our podcast that are going to be more personal and spicy? Um, we will be making a very big announcement um, next week, so I'm not going to say anything, but it's about a, a very exciting opportunity we're pushing forward with in Uganda. So um, I'll share the, those details with you next week once some of this goes live. Great. Thank you, Tricia. We'll be looking forward to that. Now, switching to a more personal level, um, tell us about yourself a bit uh, uh, and and your roots uh, in in South Africa and where you're living. Yeah, so I'm actually an American. I, I grew up in Chicago. 
Um, I have a background in behavioral economics, went to graduate school at the University of Chicago. And right after grad school, I just went out to Uganda and started my career in Africa. And that was about five years ago. Um, I've been living in, in Cape Town, South Africa for the last few years. I'm constantly on a plane, uh, but Cape Town is an absolutely amazing city. It's got such a large and quickly growing fintech and blockchain ecosystem. So it was a great place for us to set our roots, to grow our tech team. Um, so right now we're about a team of 12 and growing. There's a lot of talent in, in Cape Town, and it's obviously just a gorgeous place to live. You're by the mountains, the ocean, vineyards, it's everything you could ever want. Can you name one person from Uganda that's kind of your favorite customer that you've met in person, and, and you kind of, when you think about the impact that you've had, you kind of think of that name? Oh, that's a hard question. So I would say um, Emmy. So Emmy is our community manager in Uganda. So Emmy started work. He he's, was essentially the, my first team member. So I started working with Emmy five years ago in northern Uganda. I hired him as a translator. Um, we went out to Gulu and Kikum, uh, these villages in northern Uganda, where we worked with subsistence farmers, and I was conducting research. Um, around universal basic income. And Emmy was just there with me to help translate and communicate with these farmers. And after that, um, I stayed in touch with Emmy and quickly saw how connected he was, how he's so good at communicating with people. And I brought him on as a community manager to help me grow the presence of Walla in Uganda. And he's been one of the most incredible teammates and leaders um, and he's, he is my family now. So Emmy is, uh, whenever I think of Uganda, I always think of Emmy. Um, he's a very good person and an extremely hard worker. Uh, one last question, your favorite African city, uh, for, uh, maybe for travels. Um, oh, that's a hard one because I, I go to a lot. So I, in the last year, I've been in Uganda, Rwanda, Zimbabwe. Um, I'm, I'm off to Zambia in a few weeks, um, Tanzania. Like I, I've, I've been all over and every, every country is so uh, different and I think so beautiful. The, I think the one thing that excites me is when I go to a new country and just seeing how, how different the culture and how different people are. I would personally say, though, that Zimbabwe has been one of my favorite countries. I love Harare. The people there, I have never met such kind, kind people. It was a little bizarre to me that every person you pass in the street wants to say, hello, how are you? Who, what's going on? Where are you from? Like strangers that you don't know just want to engage in great conversation with you. And I, especially as a woman, I've never felt any, you know, concern being alone, walking around in any parts of, of these countries. I think Africans in general are just such warm, you know, giving people and work so hard. So I, it's hard to put a, a favorite and one particular city, but I do love Harare. So I'll put that to my, uh, my bucket list then. With that, let's close off the podcast episode for today. Um, thanks very much for uh, uh, making time for us, uh, Trishia. It was lovely to talk to you and hear your insights on the African continent. Thank you very much. Thank you. 